Today we'll be reading from the book of Mark chapter 10 from verse 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. He replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, you want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and the other on your left hand. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know, that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them but among you it will be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant and whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God bless you. Good morning. You know, two things strike me this morning. Firstly, boy, do I need a haircut. And yes, I can hear you back home all agreeing with me right now. And then secondly, can you believe that we're just about to go into June already? This time is really moving by, isn't it? I um. I want us to begin just by asking a question, and that is, what do you want in life? What do you want in life? I think that's the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. You know, this question that he asked, this teaching about servanthood, about leadership and leading as servants, um, at the heart of it is the question, what is it that you are really chasing in life? When Jesus asked the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? What he's really saying is, what is in your heart? What is it that you are chasing? And as Jesus unpacks this teaching, as he sits with the disciples and as he explains to them what leadership in the kingdom of God looks like, actually we see that uh, it's not about personal gain. It's certainly not about personal glory and it's not about personal greatness. Rather, we see that Jesus shows them that following him involves suffering, involves a servant heart, and it ultimately is about salvation. And part of that is about salvation from ourself and from our own egos. You know, we live in a world and a culture that's obsessed with self. We live in enthrall to our own selfish desires. We live with the need to, to let our opinions on everything 
be known. I heard this great Tim Keller talk last year um, where he was talking about how self-expression has become the idol of our culture and that we uh, we see it as a, almost a social good that we have to let others know who our true self is. And that becomes an idol. And he, he then went on to make the point that um, uh, a part of that isn't just that we need to make our true self known, but that others, everybody around us is expected to endorse and applaud that. And if, that, if, if they don't do that, that somehow we uh, end up guilty of, uh, of robbing them of their humanity or robbing them of their personality. And, and you know, that point of view has done so much damage to our world and to our culture, that idolization of self-expression. You know, this week, we've also seen a, uh, our nation raging around a question of, do some people think that they are above the rules? Again, it cuts to this idea of the importance of self. Do some of us think that rules apply to others and not ourselves? Do we think we're above it? And actually, the answer to that question is yes, some people do think that, but more so, actually, it's all of us think that. If we're brutally honest, all of us are guilty of selfishness. All of us are guilty of thinking that the rules apply more to others than ourselves. We're all fundamentally selfish people who live selfish lives. And that may be dressed up in all kinds of guises, but that is the brutally honest fact about human nature. You know, Jesus really confronts this idea of selfishness, really confronts this idea in his disciples. And we'll see that as we look through this passage. So much of the problems that we create in our lives are about our own desire for self-aggrandizement. They're about our own desire for us to be lifted up. They're about our own desire to celebrate ourselves rather than to live lives serving God and serving others. I want us to see that Jesus question to them, what do you want me to do? Jesus question actually reveals their hearts to them. Now the context of this is a road trip with Jesus and it's the most remarkable road trip because in this short space of time, Jesus encounters people, he answers questions about how does somebody inherit eternal life? What do they have to do? He speaks about his own suffering and the fact that he would go to the cross. He also talks about the sacrifices that the disciples have made and he, he makes it clear to them that in giving things up to follow Jesus, that they'll never lose out through doing that, that God will bless them and will give them all that they need. The disciples during this time are learning more and more about who Jesus is. They're on their journey, as we've talked about in the previous weeks, from, uh, from fear and into faith. And here we see this question, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? James and John, these two brothers, have approached Jesus and they said, Jesus, will you give us what we ask? And I love the fact that Jesus answers their question with his own question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, James and John, 
What is it you want from me? Now here's the thing, that question takes on a special relevance because of who is asking it. You see, Jesus is asking them that question and they know that Jesus has this enormous power. They've seen Jesus literally still a storm simply by speaking to it. They've seen him cast evil spirits out of a man whose life was utterly wrecked. They've seen him heal people. They've seen lame people walk. They've seen eyes that were blind opened up. So here's the thing. This same person who's asking them, what do you want me to do for you, has enormous power to grant what they want. And that really challenges the motivation of their heart because we see it brings out this idea of what is it that they really want to live for. And I think that's really, really important. Now, you know, if I said to you, I want to bless you, what can I do for you? I want you to know that you need to uh, rein in your expectations. So if I'm going to take you for lunch, we're talking Curry Hut. We're talking maybe uh, uh, JP's Cafe in Chris Street Market. Let's not go too far in our expectations. But say Bill Gates said to you or Warren Buffett said to you, I want to tra- treat you today. What can I do for you? You know, your expectations would be raised. Why? Because they have virtually unlimited resources. So if they say, I want to treat you, what can I do for you? Your expectations would be raised. You'd be prepared to ask for more. It would challenge the motivations of your heart. And that's a bit like it with these disciples. See, they knew they were loved by Jesus. They'd been with him and they knew that they'd uh, left stuff behind for him. They knew they'd left families and, and a certain future behind for him. And that Jesus had promised them that they promised them that they wouldn't lose out through that. And so here we see that they're prepared to ask for what's really on their heart. You know, in one sense, it's great that they showed faith. It's great that they see this idea of Jesus glorified. It's great that they see that Jesus will be in glory. It's great that his kingdom is central to them. But here's the thing. They also see their role as being left and right of center. They say, Jesus, we want you in all your glory. But actually, we want a little bit of it ourselves. We want to be at your left and your right hand. Jesus, we want what you have and we want some of the credit. We've left things behind. We've given stuff up. Jesus, don't we deserve some of that? You know, the big failing of our generation is that increasingly we are seeing that leadership and power is exercised in the interests of self-interest rather than the interests of others. And sadly, even the church can be that way. You know, so much of the time when you hear people talk about what is leadership, people talk about leadership as influence. And yeah, I get that it is. But actually, the kind of leadership that Jesus spoke about was to be a servant. That he who was to be the greatest had to be the servant of all. You see, they wanted Jesus at the center of his kingdom, but they wanted also the glory for themselves. Now we know that James and John were two of the more well-off disciples and maybe they thought, hey, we deserve some of this. We also know that they were in part of Jesus' inner circle. So maybe they're thinking, well, you know, we've accustomed to a certain life and Jesus has kept us close. So maybe we ought to be 
front and centre with Jesus in his kingdom. Maybe we deserve part of the glory. And you know, that element of feeling like we're entitled actually damages leadership. That it's element of self-entitlement is a very, very dangerous thing. Secondly, Jesus is clear with them that following him means sharing the cup of his suffering. In verses 38 and 39, we read, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. What Jesus does here is to remind them of the link between greatness and pain. He wants them to see that there is a link between greatness and humility, not greatness and worldly favour. To remind them that the road to glory must mean passing through the place of suffering. Jesus is brutally, brutally honest with those who follow after him. You know, in response to what Jesus says, they say, yes, we can. And he, he says to them, yes, you will also face this suffering. And we know that James and John endured tremendous suffering for the kingdom of God. And in fact, James ultimately died for his Christian faith. When Jesus says to them, will you drink the cup that I'm to drink? I think they would be clear. He'd been talking about going to the cross. And in one measure, I think they would realise that that, uh, that idea of drinking the cup means to totally experience and identify. It means to share in that experience, to fully experience something, not to be spared it. You see, the same is true as us as followers of Jesus. We can't follow Jesus expecting that it's going to make us popular. We shouldn't follow Jesus expecting that it's going to mean that everything goes fine. We shouldn't follow Jesus thinking it's going to be simply the way to riches or fame. There are blessings and prosperity in Christ. But I tell you, it comes with obedience and it comes with suffering and it comes ultimately with living for a reward when we are fully with him. I don't know if you remember those old ads, I think it was Diet Coke, uh, uh, all the taste, none of the calories. And some of us in our Christian walk, we want kind of Christianity light, all the glory, but none of the hard stuff. We want all the great stuff, all the blessings, but we don't want the difficulties that following Jesus includes. That word to be baptised means to be totally immersed and drenched in. And Jesus is clear with his followers that in one sense following him means taking and sharing of his cup of suffering. It means being plunged and immersed into suffering as he was. Now not in the same way Jesus suffered for our sins. We cannot ever do that. But also he, he, um, he reminded us 
that no servant is greater than his master. And just as Jesus went through difficulty, so will we. You know, the New Testament church was overwhelmingly poor and was used to suffering. And we have to be clear that for many Christians in the world today, that's their normative experience. In telling them that following him meant difficulty. Jesus was being honest. He was making them aware of what their future would hold. You know, Paul, when he writes to Timothy, says in, in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is of great gain. And Paul is writing to correct this view of false teachers, bad leaders, who somehow think that following Jesus is going to make them rich and successful and is going to give them prominence. And Paul says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. The Bible describes Jesus as a man of sorrow. And there's a, a point that we have to uh, become familiar with difficulty if we are going to be authentic followers of Jesus. We're going to hear now from Tanya. And the reason I wanted you to hear from Tanya today, Tanya served as an intern for two years here at our church and just really went above and beyond in serving us as a church and our community. And I want you to hear a little bit about her life story. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya and I come from Italy. And since I was a child, I received teaching about Christian faith. Then one day, when I was 22 years old, a friend of mine invited me to go to her evangelical church. And from that moment, I attended regularly uh, that church because I was really um, looking for Jesus in that period. And in that church, I was uh, quite uh, um, touched by the testimony of the believers when they used to testify that even if they were passing through troubles, they were able to feel peace and joy. And in that period, because I was praying and talking with God, then I said, Jesus, how can I receive those gifts like uh, peace and joy, even because I'm a young girl that, uh, you know, I um, live in a house of domestic violence and my life isn't easy at all. And uh, I remember that in that period, the Holy Spirit um, speak to me, um, telling that if I wanted to receive uh, that joy and peace, I needed to burn again. So I said, Jesus, why should I burn again? I am actually a good girl. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to me with a verse of the Bible that we find in Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So in that moment, the Holy Spirit revealed me that even if I was not a um, bad person, even if I never did evil stuff toward others, I was still a sinner. 
and the only way to be reconciliated with him and be filled of joy and peace, the only way was to confess to him all my sins. So from that moment I said, okay, Jesus, I confess you all my sin. All of them are just before you. But I really would like to do a deep experience with you. So whatever will happen in the future, by that experience, I will never leave you. So I remember that on 5th June 2003, on Wednesday, I was in the church and after the sermon, the pastor did an appeal. Who wants to be saved? I responded yes to that appeal. And while I was praying, suddenly my heart was completely um overwhelmed of a joy but really a joy that it started to lift up more and more and more and i was so full of that joy that i wanted just to pouring it out and uh, um, some days after I had some doubt about what happened and I said oh Jesus maybe it was not the salvation but it was only a blessing but then the Holy Spirit reminded me a prayer I did Jesus I said I don't know when where and how but the day you will save me I want really to feel it so from that moment, I realized that I was born again and the joy, the peace and the presence of Jesus came me that night. And uh, uh, so far, my life has been good, has been bad. I passed through good season and bad season of my life. But so far, Jesus is still with me. So far, I am still with Jesus. And if someone now is watching this testimony or listening the, the sermons, we want just to say to you, that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And if you will open the door of your heart, Jesus will come and live with you. He will give you the eternal life, the joy and the peace that you need. God bless you. Thirdly, Jesus' place is serving at the heart of leadership. Here we see in verses 41 and 3 to 43, when the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. These words of Jesus are profound and so challenging in their nature. What has happened is that as the other disciples have heard about the fact that James and John are seeking a place, they become angry and annoyed. Maybe they think, well, who are they? What about us? Aren't we also following Jesus? Didn't we also leave everything behind to follow him? And we see this argument breaks out and Jesus speaks into the midst of that. 
I want us to see that he says those who are regarded as leaders or those who or he uses in other translations those so-called leaders. In other words, he takes the example of leadership that the disciples had seen and experienced and he said Christian leadership is nothing like that. He says those so-called leaders, those who are regarded as leaders, what he's saying is that that is not leadership at all. And here Jesus outlines and describes and demonstrates the most remarkable model of leadership. It is the only model for Christian leadership, and that is servant leadership. Jesus himself, right at the end of his life, as uh, he's facing the cross, gathers the disciples and he washes their feet. He takes on a menial, lowly task that the lowest servant in the household would do. And he says, this is what I'm doing to you and you should do for each other. As Christians, no task ought to be beneath us. And as leaders particularly, there should be no task that's beneath us. If things are beneath us, then we've lost the ability to lead and to lead well. You see, Jesus makes the point, if we are self-serving, then essentially we've ceased to lead. We may have responsibility, we may have a position or an office, we may have authority, but actually we're not leading. In some senses, we're feeding, we're feeding from the trough. We're uh, getting our snout in there with everyone else. If leadership ever becomes about us, if it becomes about our needs, our wants, our feelings, our prestige, what people think about us, if it becomes about our gain, we have ceased to lead. Jesus makes the point that to lead is to serve, that humility is the way. You know, while I was preparing this talk, I was thinking, you know, we are going to be able to watch this video because the incredible servanthood of our tech team. You may not know it, but there are a group of people who work so hard, a big chunk of their week is spent uh, editing, putting this all together. And I just wanted to say thank you, but church, we have to realize these guys, people don't even know who that is often, but they are doing an incredible job of getting on and serving. You know, Jesus warned here of, um, of people who want to use their power and their authority to lord it over people. They were people who liked to be the boss. And you know, it's really important to recognize that in ourselves. There is something that is very destructive within us when we like to be in charge, when we like to be in control. It's one of the reasons we place a very high value on having a leadership team. And we would talk about a team of elders at THCC. I don't believe any church should ever be simply led by the pastor. In the New Testament, there were always a plurality of elders in every church, more than one. And, and as a leader, it's important that we learn. It's important for me as a leader to submit to others and submit to the team around me. It's really important, I think, that some of us have to examine the role that our expectations and culture place on how we approach leadership. In some cultures, 
leaders are really esteemed, they're placed on a pedestal, they're looked up to and, and, and almost revered. And I believe that's profoundly unhealthy. In other cultures, leadership is looked down upon and despised, and that also is unhealthy. We need to honour leaders, but leaders have to realise that, that we lead by people's consent and we lead through being servant-heartedness, through being servant-hearted. Jesus makes the point that to be great is to become the lowest. To be great is to become the servant of all. Lastly, I want us to see that Jesus demonstrated the ultimate example of service. Jesus demonstrated the ultimate example of service. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come and just talk about leadership. He didn't give them leadership principles. He demonstrated leadership through self-sacrifice and service. This was not theory, but practice. He gave his life. He laid it down voluntarily. Here we see that Jesus has been speaking about the fact that he would go to the cross. He was about to lay his life down. He would give it as a ransom. It would not be taken from him. This was the ultimate act of service. He came not to be served, but to serve. Using what he had, not for himself, but for others. And that's the test of leadership. With what I have, with my influence, the things that I've been given, do I use them for myself and my own gain? Or do I use them to serve and bless and release, empower and equip others? Jesus says, don't be like those so-called rulers who use power for their own gain. But whatever power and authority you have in life, brothers and sisters, let's use it in the service of others. Let's use it in the service of the marginalized and the poor. Let's use it to esteem and honor others. And I want to ask you a question. Which model of leadership are you following? Are you following the world's model of leadership? Self-advancement, get ahead. Or are you following Jesus' model, which is self-sacrificing and might just cost you your head? You see, Jesus leaves us with a choice. Do we follow his example or do we follow that of the world? Philippians uh, chapter 2 teaches us about who Jesus is and it says that he humbled himself he didn't account equality with God something to be grasped but he came as a servant he laid down his life and then it says wonderfully and the father has highly exalted him in other words Jesus humbled himself and father God exalted him Jesus came as a servant the preface to that verse says, do nothing, and this is the instruction to you and I, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's what real, real leadership looks like. Jesus paid the price. He came. He paid the ransom for us he died for us why because we could never pay that price for ourselves 
I want to say to you, if whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, the offer of forgiveness and a new start in Jesus is for you. I want to invite you today to place your trust in Jesus, to understand that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you. God loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die for you. And that ultimate act of sacrifice means that we can have love. We can have life. We can know what it is to be loved. Jesus doesn't just demonstrate sacrifice and servant heartedness. He makes it possible because he gives us new life. If you've never experienced that, come visit us at the Zoom tables today. Come maybe to the prayer table or the visitors table. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. You know, just to close, I want us to see that Jesus gave his life. He died so that we could have life. What does this mean for you and I? It means that we can experience mercy. You know, the really interesting thing is right after this, Jesus meets a blind man and Jesus asks the blind man that very same question. What do you want me to do for you? You see, what caught Jesus' attention about the blind man is the blind man wasn't saying, give me a great position of influence. I want power. He simply says, Jesus, have mercy on me. It's really interesting, isn't it? James and John got it wrong. They've been up close and personal with Jesus. They've been following him, but they've missed out. They asked for position. And yet, and, and Jesus doesn't give it to them. And yet this blind man asks for mercy and he finds it. Why? Because that's what following Jesus does. It leads us not to an awareness of our greatness, but an awareness of our need. God bless you. I pray for each of us that we would be people who lead lives of service in whatever influence, in your home, our family, and our communities. God bless you. Go as servant leaders 